Hello you awesome beings, welcome to Things I Wish I'd Known. This podcast is a love letter to my younger self of all the things I wish I'd known before I had deep issues with my mental health and my spiritual awakening. I hope you enjoy listening. Why not head to my website and purchase the new Live From Lockdown, seven guided meditations and gong meditations for your listening pleasure. Use the code TIWIK15, T-I-W-I-K 15, to get 15% off now. Hello and welcome to Things I Wish I'd Known podcast with your host, Rachel. I am the founder of Welford Wellbeing and obviously your host here. I am here today with Savelle Cunningham. I'm really excited to speak to her. We've got a lot in common already just from chatting off camera. And she is a poet, a speaker and an author of Marshall Dim Ranks. And she's also a bit of a yoga lover like me too. She was working in HR and she was a HR professional. And through that journey, she moved into poetry. And now what she does is she uses the spoken and the written word in order to help people remove their masks, which is something I'm very passionate about, and to really find their truth. So you can see why I was very excited when she reached out to be on this podcast. So welcome, Savelle. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Been really looking forward to chatting with you. Thanks. You're welcome. Well, I guess the beginning is just how did you go from, you know, you're working in HR. Had that been a career that you'd you'd kind of worked into for a while? And then you've completely segued into something very different. So can you give us a little background on how that happened? Right. So the backstory to how I when it came to be in HR, I'd have to go back to when I was literally a small child. My mother used to work in a tea shop, cafe, and whenever we came in from school, the mum would come in from work. She'd have these goodies. So she'd have jam tarts, cream buns. Oh, my God. All those. Oh, I wish I was at your house. <laughs> it was wonderful. And then one day she came home. She was in the kitchen with my aunt. And there were no cakes. But I could hear my mum crying. So obviously at that age, you don't go in and listen to a big person's conversation, adult's conversation. I just helped just observed from the door mm. and what had happened was mum had been sacked that's the word they used back then from work and she'd been sacked for speaking the truth so the um, wow. debt collector had gone into the, the tea shop and he'd asked to see the manager because he wanted his money and my mum had said she said I'll, I'll go and get him for you so she went back to where the manager was and said there's a debt collector who needs to speak to you now and her manager said tell him I'm not here so my mum, being herself, went to the debt collector and said, he said he's not here. Just like a child would. It was like, yeah. I laugh at it now when I look back, but it's the sort of thing a child would say. And he said, well, I'm not leaving until he comes out. So my mum sat him down, gave him a cup of tea, slice of cake. And in the end, the manager came out, had to face the debt collector. And then when he was gone, my mum was dismissed there on the spot, as we did back then in HR. Yeah. And then or without HR. And then... I said to myself, when I'm older, I'm going to make sure that no one gets dismissed from work for speaking their truth. Now, lo and behold, I didn't know what that was. I didn't know what that was. How old were you then, do you think, roughly? I would have been about five or six. Don't you think it's so beautiful? Mm. I just think it's so beautiful how kids, do you know, like they always just want the truth. Like most kids, they don't even care what it is. They just, as long as people are being truthful and like true to their heart, you know, I think that's really beautiful way of expressing that. 
it's a soulful thing, isn't it? You just, yeah. you just, you don't know the negative side. You just want what's right, and you want what's right not because you've got an, uh, an ego or any judgment there. You just know that maybe it's not the right thing is the right thing, and nothing else should mask that or mirror mm. it. And so, I had, obviously, I made that commitment to myself, and I didn't really think about it as time went on I left school became a postwoman I walked to work for Royal Mail it was five minutes from where I was at the time lived at the time I at the family home and I wanted to be in Royal Mail it was I could learn to drive a car learn to drive a lorry which I did and as I started working for Royal Mail I got to understand people more and more there were people from all walks of life in Rommel, as you can imagine, from mm. all around the world. And I just love that interaction and learning about different people and about their cultures as well. And then I left Rommel, went into recruitment, and then Synchronicity would have it. The recruitment agency that I went to work for, they got a tender for Royal Mail for one of their largest sites. So I went back into Royal Mail to recruit for managers. And then I was asked to join Royal Mail again. And then I started working with people, with employee relations, unions. And I said to myself, there must be a name for this. And lo and behold, it was human personnel, human resources. Yeah. So I literally said, right, I've got to find out what that is. And I took a sideward step, a side and downward step, because I was a manager at the time. And I started tempering human resources. And that's how I got into it. And finally, I was offered a permanent position and then just progressed through the ranks. <laughs> <laughs> the ranks. <laughs> Learned about employment law people how people bring I think they bring themselves into the workplace without realizing it and whether you're the HR professional or the employee but we're all employees and I found that I started to learn to learn more about me and people in that situation yeah amazing and then so how did you go so you've obviously always been a people person and Mm. you really cared about you know making sure that people have what they need and that everything's fair and and that kind of thing but how did that then move into the more creative side of things you know writing books and poetry and speaking and helping people to really remove their masks and and tune into their truth well I owe that to I worked for an employer about five years ago I joined there five years ago and an organization I won't say their names I'm not here to advertise them people there were very much family focused it was an employer organization that started back in the 80s it was very much 80s the 80s smell and feel and the habits of the people but it was such a wonderful opportunity to support people and I'd been there for two weeks and I was supposed to HR and the CEO hadn't really told me what he wanted from me where do you want me to start as such so in the end I sat here one day and I wrote my resignation letter and I thought you know what this isn't for me <laughs> leaving and I went into work on the Monday and went into his office and I said Nigel here's my resignation letter I, I can't work here anymore and he went why he goes I don't know what you want of me I really don't know and he said in that moment he said just do what you do and it was like this, I don't know, this armour had fallen away from me. And to say, well, what do I do? You know, what is it that I do? Mm. And in that moment, I brought in understanding people and then brought in the HR element of statutory law and everything else. And literally just fused the two together and said, how can I make this work for the people in this organization because they never had HR in there before Mm. so 
I think the ego must have dropped off at that moment in time. And I just started to get to know people at their core without saying, well, I'm doing this because the policy says you have to be a certain way. They weren't ready for hard policies. It would have turned them away from HR and everything to do with employment law and away from me as a person that was trying to connect with them. And then as I did that, the my true voice started to come through because when I wrote letters for the line managers, it wasn't like a templated letter where you just fill in all the blanks, but it mirrors the same letter that you've given to Dave, John, Elizabeth, Sheila. It was me sitting there and saying to the manager, what do you really want to say to this person? What is it you're trying to say? Not from an employment law, but what do you want to say? And I would sit there and we would type these letters up together were, were more human, more meaningful, and that connected with the human side of the person rather than a human capital, that my truth voice started to come through. So my letters were very much poetic. Mm. And people used to say to me, the letters are so nice. Even when you're dismissing someone, I said, well, I don't dismiss them, you do. Take <laughs> <laughs> <Same> responsibility, guys. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I said, it's so poetic. And that's when my real voice then started to come through because there were no layers. And I don't like layers and labels. And I've never been attached to labels. But my true voice, I think it was stifled by maybe the labels that society puts on us. Mm. In that moment, in that organisation, there was no label for me. I was just being who I was in this organisation and being it at the best I could be in a supportive environment. And in that, this poetic voice started coming through and I started writing poetry. I think the first one that I wrote was Everyone Needs a Space to Call Their Own. Mm. And I remember I wrote it and I was sharing it with the, with the PA at the time, one of my colleagues, and people came in and they said, oh, no, no, carry on. So in the end, people used to come into the office for a poem Oh. So I'm sharing the poem with everybody, regardless of where they were in the organisation, they were listening to the poetry. So at that moment, the power of the words or the meaningness, the meaning behind the words or in the words were there to connect with everyone in the organisation, regardless of who they were. Even the CEO came in for a poem. The finance director came in for the poem. People who were in operations on the, on the, you know, on the shop front, they would come in for a poem. And it was just that moment to connect as human beings and just talk and share and just yeah, take away, take away the, the label, the positioning. It was just the humanness meeting another humanness. Yeah. yeah. I'd love to go back just to something that you mentioned there. And I know it's something we were chatting about off air and it's something I'm very passionate about, which is this whole thing about labels. And I'd just be intrigued to see, like, I guess from your perspective, having worked in all these different organisations with so many different people, what, I don't know if damage is the right word, but what labels can do to people in terms of stifling and limiting their potential? Mm. That is a pow powerful question. It can do, I suppose, damage. It can, it can suppress someone. It can hold them down. Because when you're in a position, say, for example, somebody's, I'll take HR from a point of view, being in HR. If you don't understand people or understand their backgrounds or the life that people may have gone through, when you see someone or you meet someone for the first time, 
instinctively, and they say this, they being whoever they are, that you make up your mind with, about someone within six seconds. Mm. Now, within six seconds, you'll make up your mind by the front of the person, the shell that we're in, but you don't know anything about them. They could be waiting for an opportunity to grow, for someone to hold their hand and develop them. They, they could be wanting to feed their children themselves. But because someone may be biased, hasn't had that interaction with different types of people, they're then for, they're, they're making that assumption and that split second, that person could be no good or not worth the investment or their time. And I think what everyone should do in an organization, especially from a human resources perspective and anyone who's a leader, is that when someone comes to them and if, if in their head they're aware that they've made a judgment, they should give that person extra time. Because you, if you say, okay, I'm judging you to say that you're not worth this investment, you're not worth going on this training, that person who's, who's a decision maker should then sit down and say, okay, why have I made this judgment? I should then invest more time in this person to find out whether I've labeled them incorrectly in regards to, or just giving them a label that is not who, who isn't who they are. And with that, that's why people leave organizations. That's why sometimes one individual is the golden boy or the golden girl. Another person with some potential may, may be ignored because they've been judged and that's it. And that's, and it's literally like someone's just put a, a glass plate in front of them. Boom. I've judged you stay there. And that's all there is rather than say, well, actually, I've judged you. Am I right? Is there more discernment? Should I be more discerning and get to know you beyond the, you know, the number of an employee or your, who your name is and what your contract says you do? Mm. And it, it's very, and you find that in life, people can be very judgmental. And I'm not saying that to be judgmental, but we know it's, it's truth. People mm. may make their mind up about a person based on their own experiences. And therefore they may judge someone they see who, who reminds them of that person. I remember being in an interview, supporting a line manager in an interview, and I could tell by the vibe from the line manager that they didn't like this person. So after the interview, the line manager said, oh, what do you think, sir? I said, oh, I'd be interested to hear, you know, your thoughts. And they said, oh, do you know what? I shouldn't say this. But this person reminds me of someone who used to bully me at school. Oh, wow. Yes. It They're not going to get a fair trial, are they? No, no, no. And I, and I said, well, how do you feel about that? And they were, well, you know, I, they said, I know I shouldn't be that way, but I feel it. It's brought up, it brought up the emotion of how yeah. that person, how they were treated by someone who looked like that person. And I said to them, but you do know it's not the same person. It's just maybe the look. And I said, you know, we've all got nose, eyes, hair. So the likelihood that we're going to resemble someone is there. It's there. And I said, you know, it, it's stirring in me. I don't think I'll be able to treat them as I should treat them because of what it's, it's bringing up anxiety inside of them. And the person wasn't offered the job. And I think, in a way, if the line manager was ready to deal with that emotion, that bullying that had taken place, at a young age, maybe they, they would have been okay employing that person because mm -hmm. they could work with themselves or gotten, gotten over it, moved through it, but they weren't at that stage. So that's how, how much people can be suppressed or damaged by how somebody else feels in an organisational environment. Yeah, yeah I think it's, it's, yeah, it is sad, but it's also quite powerful because I think once you realise that, 
you know, I, I always talk about this through through my experience of kind of depression and anxiety and how, you know, I could take on that label and say, okay, well, I've got this disease and mm. there's nothing I can do about it. I've got mental health problems and that's just how it is. And And essentially what I'm doing is giving my power to the illness and the label. And actually what I'm really passionate about is taking my power back over that stuff. And I think this is the kind of thing, you know, if you're the kid, like everyone will have something from when they were a kid, Mm -hmm. whether you were, I don't know, the pretty one or the fat one or the skinny chicken legs one, or whether you were (laughs) the comedian or the, you know, adventurous or the one that climbed on everything (laughs) or, you know, or maybe you were the bully or the bullied Mm -hmm. Or, you know, everyone will have something where they're like, well, that's just who I am. And I think once we create this story of who we are, we start to very much have limits to what we can and can't achieve, what we can and can't have. Well, my family's always been poor or people with money are awful. You know, if you're depressed, how are you going to behave? You're going to behave like a depressed person. You know, if you actually say, Sometimes I exhibit the symptoms of depression rather than I have depression or I am depressed. That's a very different perspective to have on that because if you're saying I exhibit the symptoms of that sometimes, then that's giving you the opportunity to maybe not exhibit the symptoms <laughs> of that, you know? Right. <laughs> and if you're if you're like, well, I'm a bully, and generally when you look at people that are bullies, why are they bullies? generally because they've had some kind of trauma themselves or they've had an upbringing where they've had to be aggressive Mm. in some way because that's their only defense mechanism I'm not defending bullying by the way (laughs) but I just think (laughs) when you can start to have Mm -hmm. compassion and more of an understanding and like you're saying in that situation well Mm -hmm. that poor person that's going for that job it's not their fault that you were bullied at school by somebody that happens to have similar facial features to them that's got absolutely no standing on whether they Mm -hmm. can do that job or not Mm -hmm. and yet the likelihood of them getting hired for that job is completely zero really in in that situation so or very low or if they do get the job the likelihood of them being treated fairly is Is pretty slim so it's very interesting when you start to look at labels one of the things that I would love to chat to you about as well is a a couple of things that probably tie into this Mm -hmm. because you were talking about recognizing your childhood trauma and how that had played Mm. out in patterns in your life and I was wondering if there was labels and things that had been created from those experiences Mm. in childhood so my my childhood trauma was abuse So my father abused me and my sisters as well. And he also, he was very violent in the sense that he was a very angry man. And if something upset him, he would get electric cable. You know the cables where you plug Mm. something in? He would double it over and literally whip the hell out of the seven of us. There was the seven of us. He, He was evil. And I say it with a, with a capital E. Mm. He was absolutely evil. And those for me, looking back, those I think looking back, I realized that I wasn't going to be a label. Mm. I wasn't going to be the label of someone who'd been who'd been sexually abused, who'd been whipped to hell if things weren't done in a, in a certain way, shouted at. But what I didn't realize was that they were they, these things leave patterns in you, and I mm. didn't realize how that left patterns in me. So being in HR, very much 
confident in myself, who I am, what I do, but then being in, say, the personal relationship, so the, the intimate relationship, giving that away, not really standing in my own power in those situations. And I thought, and I used to think to myself, why is it that in that situation, I'm just me? But in here, there's something slightly different about the way I interact. And as I started doing the poetry and my true voice started coming through, that's when I was able to start asking myself the questions about my personal relationships and looking back to say, okay, why was I a certain person in these situations? I thought, damn, that's my childhood. Mm. Because my mother, whilst we were getting beaten and everything else she never stood up for us and um, she suffered with postnatal depression that went to full-blown depression for many years that she never sort of stood her ground she never stood her ground and I thought to myself damn that's a pattern in, in the family there mm. that I'm like my mother and I'm carrying the strength in one area of my life but I'm not carrying my strength in another area of my life when in fact I need to be whole as a person and that was very much a pattern of who I was in my personal relationship not standing in my own truth because that pattern was also my mum's pattern in the household but not the pattern when she was outside of the household as well mm. and that was very much it was a point in point in moment when I when I realized damn I recognize that and there was also another pattern where Previous partners, you say to me, oh, you know, why do you want to do things? Why do you want to go out? Why do you want to learn? Why do you read so much? And I would actually list, sometimes listen and think, oh, maybe you're right. Yeah, what? Yeah, maybe. But I never said to you, know, Savelle, why do you? At a deeper level, it's like, oh, oh, maybe you're right about this. Maybe I should put the book down and pay you attention. And then I thought to myself, hold on a minute. Why are they being like that? Surely if I want to read and develop myself... The problem isn't with me doing that. The problem is obviously with them and maybe their own traumas. And then I realised, plus, that was my mum again, where she'd read the Bible, she'd want to, you know, she'd very much wanted to educate herself. And this tyrant of the husband, of my father, would always be putting her down and taking away what was really her what was her mm. what was really the true person and then when I re when I recognized that I thought no these are things that I've got to work on and I think one of the things that kept me strong from I suppose maybe crumbling from all that was that I love yoga mm. and because there was a moment in my life where I used to feel that I wasn't really in my body I used to feel that I had this costume on that didn't fit properly. And it was weird to this cream, but I was in a costume that never fitted properly. And then about 15, maybe 20 years ago, actually, I started, just my body just said, try yoga. And I went to a local yoga class and I absolutely loved it. And I remember someone saying to me a few months in, so well, you've really changed. I went, what do you mean change? Because well, you're very calm, you listen, you're and so this whole thing, my life was changing in, in all these different areas, but I'd never really joined them mm. up. I never joined them up and, until more recently in the relationship I'm in now, where everything has sort of come together for me. And I think, right, I had this unconscious demarcation of things in my life maybe the labels, but then I realized that I thought, no, 
everything has to be whole. You can't demarcate your life. You can't separate who you are as a person because they're all parts of you and mm. who you are. So things from, so it's really seeing those patterns and then adding everything up. And now being more myself hasn't allowed me to write my poetry, to be, have a book published, working and being at a more, just a being level of a person without the labels attached to me. Because if I had to put the labels that society would put on me, there must be like 50, 60, 70, 80. And how do you manage people sticking all these post-it notes and you'd never see the person, would you? No. But, but now, none of that matters. It's not about the labels. It's more, it's about the person. I always used to say it's the person behind my eyes, but mm. I'm now the person who was behind my eyes, that's who's looking out, that's who I am. I'm not the person behind the eyes wishing things were different or I could speak more. I am that person behind the eyes. And whenever I worked with people, I would then see, especially in the HR, human resources, it gave me this space to, to work with people quite naturally from a HR perspective. So I would see the patterns in people. And I wouldn't say, oh, I can see your pattern. You've gone through trauma in your life. <laughs> I can't. Like, Sorry. <laughs> Imagine that. It'd be like, no, but have a more compassionate, more understanding to say, I you know, inside I'd realise there was something underneath and really just being open, giving people the time to come in and just listen to them. And then they'd tell me, what was on getting to them because they may have been angry or frustrated at work, but there was something always underneath that. And when that came through, that's when that person would then have a, you know, a moment to be themselves or a realization that they could start working on themselves in a, mm. very, in a very different way. Because no matter how much training you throw at someone, say in a work environment, if there is underlying things that are still there, deeper things, deep-rooted things that haven't been maybe embraced, I use the word embraced and owned by the person, you, no training will change that person. It will only be for, for a little while because that may come back. They may find themselves in a situation where the anger comes out or where the resentment comes out and the training won't help that type of training, organisational training, is not going to help unless it's to do with emotions, understanding themselves at a deeper level. And you have to be at a place to be able to speak to someone at that level so they know what you mean. So you have to bring the person to a level by meeting them where they are and then gradually walking with them until mm. you can have a very in-depth, a deeper conversation that's away from the workplace, away from contracts and policies. I totally agree. And I think it's interesting, like a lot of the kind of workplace well-being stuff that I do, you know, a lot of the sessions are on things like boundaries and mm. emotions, understanding your emotions, building awareness, mm. you know, because a lot of people, myself included, up until about five or six years ago, I had absolutely no self-awareness at all. Mm. You know, I didn't, I wasn't aware I was about to have a breakdown. I wasn't aware that I had depression. I wasn't aware that I had anxiety. I wasn't aware that I was drinking too much. You know, I wasn't aware that I didn't really like my life. I wasn't aware that I hated myself and that I was constantly, you know, digging. I was always having little digs at myself. Mm -hmm. uh, wouldn't sleep when I was tired, overeat or, or undereat or, you know, mm. sort of like, and you just think, wow, you know, actually if all these things were, you know, when once you get a handle on all of that stuff, mm. you can then 
grow as a person you know this is what I always say to my clients as well it's if you've got something like a trigger within you that's your trigger so yeah people can push it you know they can push your if you want to think of it as a button or whatever but you know they can push your buttons and you can get around oh my mum always does this or my partner always and they know exactly how to niggle at me yeah well imagine if you get rid of the button they can sit there all day and there's no yeah, button nothing. <laughs> like, <laughs> nothing happens right but it's, it's about that it's hard to take responsibility and to face up to all the things that you know maybe we you know the, the things that tend to get reactions out of people the most are, are what feels the rawest what you mm-hmm. believe about yourself yeah. so if you believe you're not good enough if you believe mm-hmm. you didn't deserve the promotion or that you're an imposter you know this is the exactly. kind of thing that happens a lot in the workplace mm-hmm. then you're you know that's what's going to play out until you heal that wound within yourself and then that thing won't happen that's anymore. it but don't you find that when you that's so, that's so beautiful because when you heal those triggers for yourself and then when you recognize the triggers in other people you can choose whether to use that as a to maybe aggravate someone or to become compassionate to someone and then understand where that trigger's coming from. Because some people, like you said, we use a trigger to just get people upset, get them riled up. But if you recognize the triggers in yourself and you've worked through them, and then you recognize the triggers in other people, you can work with that person. So then when the trigger is starting to come up, you can maybe choose a different word, change the the environment that you're speaking to that person. So there's no triggers there. So the Mm. trigger won't erupt that person. I'm trying to find an example where that's happened, and maybe a work example, maybe maybe one. There was actually no. I use my own example. I use my own example. A trigger for me would be the name Michael, and not the Archangel Michael. Yeah, <laughs> like comes Love in him. sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> I do need him. He wasn't in my office. <laughs> <laughs> my father's name was Michael. Right. And because of all the, the childhood abuse, whenever I heard that name in the past, it was like, oh, oh, it would literally just have this horrible feeling. I couldn't I couldn't say the name, couldn't hear the name. And then when I started working through myself and really and even as a family, we've come together to heal. When I hear the name, I remember once I'd heard it and it was about a couple of hours later, I thought, oh, I wasn't triggered. So it something was shifted because of the work we'd done and we did it we, together as a family with, with the trauma. So it was not just the, the individual healing, but we've done family healing as well, which is even mm-hmm. more powerful. That things that would have been triggered would have been a trigger for me. Well, gone. Mm. It's just gone. It's, it's so gone. powerful. It is. And and it's getting someone or getting yourself to being, I suppose, being honest with ourselves to get ourselves to the point of awareness. Because I mean, you mentioned there you weren't aware of the, that you were near to depression or anxiety. Mm. But I suppose it's, it's when you get your, getting yourself to that point where you become aware can be challenging. It can be because you have to be honest with yourself. You're not telling yourself what you want yourself to hear. You're no. telling yourself some hard truths. Yeah. And, and having to recognize them because they've maybe been a normal for you for so long. You, it's like when you, they say when you put a frog in the, in the water and you turn it up slowly, it will, you know, it will, it will just bubble away. Just to its don't throat. notice, yeah. But when you throw it in when the water's hot, it will jump out. And that's exactly how we are. So it has to be a very 
slow simmer. So when things do hot up, we're prepared to, or we're able to deal with them. And we don't jump out and say, nah, can't handle that. No, 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 I'll black mm. that one out. I'll push it to the back of my mind. It's too much. Mm. But it's getting to that point of awareness and then to that point of observation where then you start to see the triggers that are still there and, you, and you're working through that journey. Because That can be you, funny, though, sometimes. <laughs> you're like, oh, there's another one. <laughs> where did that come from? <laughs> where did that one come from? And it's like, okay, obviously there's, there's something else that, that needs yeah, working. Like, why am I getting wound up by this? Is it the situation or is it something else? You know, that's, I always think that's quite a good question. Mm. It's like trying to work out when you're getting really wound because I don't really get that wound up by many things these days luckily but when it does happen it's really funny because then I'm like oh like rather than being like actually annoyed I'm like oh you're getting really wound up here what's <laughs> something there's some work to be done here like something it needs to be to it. You're like oh okay what's this about and then mm. it's you know you're kind of like looking at it from a different angle rather than being like ah. Oh, and yeah you know you might for a while you might be like that person did this thing and da, 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 and you're a bit annoyed and then that you start to notice your behavior and you're like oh hang on a second no one can wind me up I wind me up okay what's this about yeah. you know, and then you can start to unpack it oh okay they've just made me feel like that one time at school or mm -hmm. they just made me feel like I was being they were being condescending and that reminds me of this other time or they they're I don't know not treating me in a way that I I feel like I deserve to be treated and it's yeah it's really interesting I like what you said earlier as well <laughs> not recognizing in other people like recognizing other people's trauma but not saying because I'm a nightmare yes. for that these days I have to really bite my tongue right. I want to fix every I want to like save everyone mm -hmm. and so as soon as I see something I'm like oh my god that's a, 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 a. <laughs> you know what that means I'm like did they ask you for your input <laughs> it's very true it's, it's giving sure you permission <laughs> yes you know yeah it is that is even with my partner especially with the lockdown even more and seeing things and I think that's a, that's a trigger for him I think you know what? just leave it because there's a point where I wanted to fix people mm. and and then there came a point where I thought hold on a minute maybe that's just an excuse not to fix myself yeah and also we can't mm. fix other people people fix themselves like you can hold space for people you can mm. give people wisdom you can like share you know your story that hopefully will empower other people or inspire mm, other people to go well maybe if she can do it then I can do it mm -hmm. or if you know because I know definitely in my story there's been people you know I was looking at people with depression and thinking well hang on a minute well if they're able to have a career and do this mm -hmm. and do that maybe I can get out of bed and, and do stuff and I think this is where the power of story is so important mm -hmm. because then you can go beyond the label like if you see somebody with your label you know and I often talk about this with certain clients I'm like you know it's people that are told they're never going to walk again and they yes. walk the walk you know and so if they can do that you can get over your anxiety you know I'm not and I'm not saying it in that way as if it's like a flippant I'll oh, get over your anxiety no, like I, I really I just, there. as that came out of my mouth I was like <laughs> suck those words back in <laughs> that's not what I meant but what I mean is you know the people are given these limitations and I think mm. often you know around who we're allowed to be or whatever Thank we're given you. these kind of limitations mm. and and unless somebody else is saying well that that's just an invisible limit doesn't even exist Absolutely. and then it gives you the thing to go oh yeah okay well maybe 
yeah, maybe maybe that's just an invisible thing that I've put there, an invisible block, and I can blast through that. It's yeah, it's really powerful. Powerful. We build work. them as well, don't we? I was. Oh yeah. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a grandmother. I'm a grandmother. What? And yes, I'm a grandmother. I don't. For those that are listening on the podcast, <laughs> Savelle does not look old enough to be a grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And and the reason I say it is because when you because of everything that I've learned about myself, when I have time with my grandchildren, I'm very much aware and observe how the words I use and how I'm being. For example, so every Thursday before this lockdown, I used to pick my granddaughter up from school. So I used to pick up from nursery, they pick up from school, nice. and off we go. And there was one point where it been, it was raining. And she's like, Nanny, after I get changed, can we go outside and, and play in the rain? I went, and I was just about to say no, because it's raining. I went, yeah, why not? Come on. So we got in, she put on her wellies. I'd only had my flats on me. And we got, went outside and she was on a little scooter. I was trying to ride on her bike. And in the end, I kicked <laughs> off my shoes. I'm stamping in the water. She's stamping, she's stamping with her feet. But at that moment, I could have put a limitation on her. Mm. I could have said no. You don't go outside, it's raining. But in her head, the rain meant enjoyment. And I could have mm. taken that away from her in a split second, boom. I could have taken that away from her. But because I've done the work on myself and I've been more observing things more, I was able to realise that I was about to limit who she was. Mm. And, and it, you don't know how people transpose the language that you use. Mm-hmm. You know, like yes. I often, and I don't have kids myself, so I have to be really careful what I, what I say because being a parent is hard <laughs> from what I can see. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, when people say things like, don't be so silly. Mm. And, you know, that kind of language can be translated into stupid or idiot or, and that person mm. can grow up thinking that they're, they're stupid or they, they never really get anything. There's somebody that I work with one-to-one who has this whole thing about, because way back when in school, super, super intelligent person, way back when in school was told they were a bit slow. And, you know, now they they have all these limitations, but they say that even they realise that it's, you know, a limitation because I realise that I have achieved all this stuff in my life, but I still think that I'm not really that intelligent. It's all a bit of a fluke. And I'm like, like 20 years of your life has been a fluke, you know? He's like, no! but it's crazy how just you know small little flippant Mm. things and potentially things that are like cute you know saw my friend and she's going smelly bum it's such a smelly bum and I'm like (laughs) if you keep doing that over and over again Mm. like the kind of like shame that could be inadvertently yes inputted around like oh god I smell or what you know I don't know it's so silly isn't it but you don't know language is so powerful and we don't know how we're being programmed and we've all been programmed we have because when we're born we're a template aren't we we're a template Mm. for anything that's come through because we've got all these senses senses that we may not even use as adults now Mm. but they were there when we were younger so we've absorbed everything through our skin through our eyes through the words and then it's in us Mm. and then sometimes people that things will trigger them but they don't know why because it's so ingrained in there that the body just remembers and it will come out of it oh my god you know it's and then you'll say it with words why have you said that to me or why have you done that and that's where the work of uh, i think it's bruce lipton and epigenetics oh, i love and, his stuff oh isn't it powerful 
yeah life-changing so about the body the cells hold the cells have memories but have memory but also it depends on the environment that mm. the cells are even before we're in the womb and our yeah. mothers are carrying our, our eggs and our father's you know sperm is that everything is being influenced so the time we're born we're not just influenced by where we're born but how our parents were influenced and their surroundings well and it's grandma as well isn't it it because is it's like seven when you're gran this is what i find really mm. creepy like when your gran is pregnant with your mum you are already mm -hmm. in so you've you're been in your nan yeah you're there and you're you're there there <laughs> isn't that you're there already like so a bit of you has been in your nan and your granddad it's very bizarre isn't it, it when you think of it like that well no not your gran it wouldn't work that way around because men don't carry babies but they carry the cell that that yeah. transcript within the cell anyway so mm. you take a bit from your mom bit from your dad and they've and so on and so on so with me you know the, the cell with memory for me even though i may not remember it is a grandmother who i've never met so grandmothers mm. on both sides i don't even know what they've been through but my body the cells of my body they know most, they know they know and that's the importance of um i didn't realize this so be, i used to well still do i was always interested in massage in, mm. even from a very young age and then when i found even though even though it wasn't lost bruce lipton about the cells remembering yeah. things i thought wow this maybe makes sense well i've always been interested in massaging myself and because massage and reprogramming they all help to release things that are in the body and mm. i thought wow so that working on yourself it goes deeper than I talk to my, honestly, I talk to my one-to-one -one clients about this all the time, like whenever they've got an, an issue, especially a physical ailment of some kind, mm. I'll say to them, you know, you need to get your head out of the fact that that's the end point, you know, because your cells are renewing all the time. Yeah. So just as they could renew damaged and mm. i.e. continue the, the issue, they could renew healed, right? Surely mm. that's a possibility. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying it's going to happen necessarily, but it's a possibility. There's a possibility yes. that the cells that are currently mm. behaving in one way, i.e., I don't know, cancerous or whatever, right? They're, mm -hmm. they're in they're unhappy cells. Mm -hmm. They're not behaving in the way that we want them mm -hmm. to behave. They're not necessarily communicating in the way that we want them to communicate in order to have this kind of harmony within our being. Exactly. Surely there's a possibility that that cell can regenerate the same way that our skin you know we sloth mm. off dead skin cells that's what dust is in your house constantly you know, renewing kind of constantly constantly renewing, renewing. so mm -hmm. why could it why is there not a possibility in the same way there's a possibility that that cell might become you know damaged in some way why is there not also the possibility that it could heal and i think there's so many stories now and you know bruce lipton's work's incredible joe Dispenza, all those guys yes. even morphic mm -hmm. resonance you know the rupert sheldrake's theory and all of that stuff mm -hmm. it's, it's just next level and i think because it's quite far out there in terms of what we currently understand it makes it more complex for people mm -hmm. to get their heads around Mm -hmm. I sometimes you're so beautiful in regards to the cell the regeneration because it's all about vibration isn't it mm -hmm. I think you do gong work yeah you, man you, with the gong work and you know it, that vibration has it can either irritate someone it can make you feel really good because there's a I don't know if there's a, there's a Japanese I've forgotten the name who did the experiment with sound vibration Oshimoto oh, 
I love like, the diamonds work. and the sunflowers, all because of the sound. Mm. And when we think about how we integrate sound, whether it's through music that we love or, or words, or even just maybe the sounds of something mechanical happening, that does have an effect on the body because it can grate you. Huge it? effect. They, they did um, experiments on rhesus monkeys that have a very mm. similar nervous system to human beings, mm. and they played them like low-level drilling and kind of like building site sounds right. at about 80% decibels of the health and safety requirement. Mm -hmm. And it took their nervous systems four months to recover after they stopped playing the sounds to them. Oh. So you think if you live in a city, like I do, and this is what I have to remind myself sometimes, I'm like, oh, okay, you know, and you're out and about yes. and it's sirens and this and that, like, mm. regardless of whether you realise it, your mm. nervous system and your body is consistently sifting, yes. you know, millions of mm. tiny little particles of information mm. You know, what can you see? What can you touch? What can you taste? Mm. What can you say? You know, every millisecond, scanning, 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 scanning. And if you're hearing, you know, sirens and crashes and bangs and cars and whirring and drilling, all those like little minute things are, are basically your nervous system's going, oh, mm. oh, 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 ah, oh, oh. <laughs> all day. And then you go home and try and relax and you're like, why can't I relax? Brilliant. What was he? Well, we were talking about earlier, right? Like, I'm such a city girl now. I'm so, but I love the, I love being in nature. Mm -hmm. And often when I go to, me and my friends sometimes go to Wales or we'll go and camp somewhere or I'll go somewhere, you know, out in the sticks or out in the mountains or wherever. And it's too quiet. My body doesn't like it. it. Takes me a good like 24, 48 hours to kind of settle when it's right. quiet because I'm so used to it being like, you know, even when I deem it quiet, that means mm -hmm. there's some kind of low level traffic noise. <laughs> <laughs> that's in my head like oh it's so quiet like there's there's some sort of hum of the city you know but hubbub of the city yes still going on whereas when you go somewhere where it's you know proper quiet like mm. on the top of a mountain or something and there's no one up there yet that's quiet and my body sort of doesn't like it so yeah it's interesting how you know we've we've got these incredible systems yes and we don't always give them their due and when they're over stimulated mm -hmm. you know that can cause so much distress I think in people and partly I think that's you know part of this modern kind of explosion of, of anxiety and things like that yes. is this constantly being on mm -hmm. poor brain and nervous mm -hmm. system doesn't get a minute just to go just put the brake on yes. for a sec my brother and I were talking about this earlier on today about the noise. And we were saying that when we, that we don't always step into the noise, that because we're so filled with, with noise all the time, and like you're saying, that when it does become, become quiet or the stillness there, we feel like something's missing. We, mm. we maybe get uncomfortable with the stillness rather than really swimming in the stillness you know like if you're underwater oh, i love it now yeah just swimming just swimming swimming the stillness and yes there's so much information whether it's through social media people and like you said our senses picking up the, the information placards on the walls they're all information that 
our body has to then recalibrate to say it's okay to be in a, in a, in a quiet place. You mm. can be in a quiet, it's okay. It's like saying, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. yeah it's okay. I'll say that to myself a lot. It's yeah. all right. You're okay. It's going to be it's all right. Okay. <laughs> it's all okay. <laughs> Bit self-soothing. <laughs> it is, but it's nice. You do a nice deep soothe. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Everything's like if you're soothing a baby, it's like, yeah. it's okay. I'd it's say okay. this though as well, you know, like oh. when, when you're suffering, especially with anxiety, I always think like, you've got to think of that anxious part of yourself. It's basically scared. Yes. And then what do we do on top of it? Instead of going like, it's okay, mm. we go, what the hell's wrong with you? Why don't you just behave yourself? No. Why can't you be like everyone else? No. Why can't you just be normal? <laughs> it's okay. And it's like, oh my God, actually what we should be saying is, it's okay. <laughs> Thank you. And maybe that's protect you. Yes. How can I make you feel safer in this situation? It is. That's exactly it. It's it's like we're trying to maybe deny. And I think sometimes I always use the word they. I don't know who they is. They could be the commercial world or the people that try and direct Mm. how we should be. That there's this maybe this denial about how our body truly is. And maybe because not all of science is in agreement with all the new science that's coming out, that there's this denial that it actually exists because maybe it will take away the old science and they'll have to change all the textbooks and everything else that comes with it. And there's this pull and push for the new that's emerging because they want to hold on to what was then a normal. This is how you Mm. deal with things. But in fact, no, there's a the body knows how to deal with things if we mm. allow it, mm. but it's when they try and pull back from that and may say, okay, then here you go, take something to suppress it. Well, yeah. it's going from the mechanical model, isn't it, mm-hmm. uh, to a more energetic model. Yes, and I think that is very complex because at the moment, although there's a lot of new stuff coming through that's enabling us to measure things that historically have only been, you know observed by sages or Mm -hmm. you know people that with all due respect could have been making it up in adverted commas you know I'm kind of Mm -hmm. say that with the respect that's due because I I believe it personally but I can see why I I do do if you currently with the measuring tools that we have Mm -hmm. available to us we can't always measure certain things Mm -hmm. but I also think it's very ignorant of people to what we do know from science mm-hmm. is that we don't know what about 95 percent of the universe is made up of because we can't measure it so it's known as dark matter or dark mm-hmm. energy mm-hmm. so we're only using five percent of data and what we do know is that human beings have a very very small spectrum of hearing comparative mm-hmm. to even a dog let's say yes. let alone comparative to mm-hmm. the spectrum of sound that is out there we can't physically hear certain hertz levels and if you look at what we can perceive with the human eye you know we can't see radio waves or we can't see sound waves Mm. but we know they exist we Mm. can't see infrared light for example but we know that exists so it's like i think sometimes human beings can be quite either egotistical or ignorant on that scale (laughs) of like either i know everything and you can't Mm. tell me so don't try or just you know well if it's not if it's not measurable then it doesn't exist when there's multiple you know resources out there now and multiple accounts of people having very very similar experiences 
of being able to see auras, of there being a human energy field, of there being highly likely that there's actually a universal energy field that connects absolutely everything and that it's more likely, you know, the theory now that, and even though I'm trying to get my head around this, so bear with me listeners, you might be thinking she's she's really lost it now. (laughs) But, you know, the the thing, the hologram theory, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, essentially nothing's actually solid and real matter it's all holographic Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that we're existing on multiple planes all at the same time and that's kind of I mean it blows my mind it's definitely Mm -hmm. way beyond what I'm able to perceive at the moment but if I'm able to perceive other people's auras which I do when I do energy Mm -hmm. work and if I'm able to somehow which I have done multiple times in the past tell people about injuries or ailments that they've had before they've Mm -hmm. told me and I've no idea how I know that information, yes. that makes me think there is a field, an invisible mm. field of, of information that if you can tap into it, you can read it. So if that is possible, how bloody limited are we sitting here working on nine to fives and making a podcast? <laughs> but you know, I, I had the same belief. There's a Michael Tolbert, he's not. He's no longer with me. He spoke about how the world is holographic. Mm. And ever since I was young, before I knew about these things, the work that this work was out there, I, I felt there was something else. I've mm. always felt it in me. You know, I had an out-of-body experience that I didn't know was an out-of-body experience. Wow. Now, so this was so raw mail yeah. and posting letters down a particular road. That would have been about maybe 19, 20 at the time, 19 mm. or 20 posting the letters, going along, and one of them needed a signature. And at the time, we had a little book that we used to get the signature for. Mm. Knocked on the door, called a recorded delivery for such and such. And I remember that, but you used to take the little sticker off the thing, yeah, didn't you? Yeah, and put it in the book. <laughs> <laughs> little orange book. <laughs> I used to put the person, put their name, they'd sign it there. And then I'd handed the person this book and hand on my heart. In that split second, I'd gone through the house to the back of the house and back into my body. It was a bit like when you see a movie and there's these lines going down the side. It was like, whoosh, whoosh, like that, straight for the house and then back into my body. And and all, all it was, he, he was then handing me the book back. So it must've been, I don't know how much time, if time was there already. And I walked away and I thought, what the, was that? Didn't have a clue. I thought, what the hell was that? But I didn't know any of this. So I thought, phew. So 20 years, 20 years later, no, 17 years later, about that time, I'm cleaning the doorstep of a house that I'm living in. I went, oh my God, I'm living in that house. I had, my body went into the house because at some point I was going to live in that house. Whoa. And I've never been able to explain it. Maybe you were I'm, already living in that house in another dimension and your body got confused you. where you were meant to be. You know what? That, is exactly, ah! that is exactly what I said. That is exactly what I said later on. I thought, do you know what? It was a time dimensional thing. Oh my God, I, I love it. Be there. I love I stuff like in. that. I went in the house and literally went in and it was like, oh, it must have gone, nope, wrong time, out you go. And Apologies as well. If anyone can hear this horrendous storm that's happening outside, I realise that it seems quite loud through my headphones. <laughs> I'm, I'm quite warm and dry inside. <laughs> <laughs> and 
and then there's another time where I used to walk. Well, I used to live in my little bed set. Mm. I used to walk maybe four miles to work, four in the morning to start work for half five at Royal Mail. And I used to walk for the graveyard. I used to, and looking back, I think, why well, I used to walk for a graveyard that time in the morning? But there was one morning I got to the graveyard gates and it was like someone just went boom on my shoulders and tugged me back. And I thought, okay, I'm going to walk on the main road today. And I walked on the main road. Next day, I went back. It was fine. I kept continuing to walk for the graveyard. But it's really weird that these little things have happened when I look back and thought, wow. There, and I, I believe there's multiple planes out there. Mm. And like you said, because we're so, maybe we're not ready for what else is there. Because given how we treat the world and what we do in this plane, I don't think we're ready. And also, given how people world. reacted to COVID-19 and start stockpiling okay. new roles, if you start going, <laughs> guess what? Aliens are real. That's <laughs> <laughs> like... I don't think people are ready, man. <laughs> we're not ready. We're not ready for it. That's what it is. We're not ready. That's why we can't see it. We're not ready. Yeah. And albeit some of us can feel it and see things and observe things that we just have this, this natural knowing. Mm. Um, because there's a part of us that knows that this is real for us. Mm. But I think if you don't have that awareness or you haven't maybe worked on yourself or given it maybe an open-mindedness, yeah. then you're not going to be able to tap into those things unless you have serendipity, something just happens out of the norm. In but one I think hit. we get blocked as well, you know. Mm. Like I've really noticed since, since everything's slowed down and we've had lockdown and all that mm. stuff, like I'm able to, I used to do a lot of, I mean, I still do quite a lot of energy work, but I used mm. to purposefully practice trying to see auras and all that kind of stuff. And obviously having the business now and whatever, you know, I just haven't had as much time to really delve into those kind of practices as much as I used to. And so I found that, you know, when I'm doing energy work with somebody or whatever, I can turn it on and I can mm. I can tune into that still. And I, I still have that great connection, but kind of day to day wandering around, I wouldn't really like see an aura on a person or a tree or anything like that and more recently like started noticing like looking around my room and stuff like that you know and even just like inanimate objects and I'm like this looks a bit hazy around the edge and I'm like yeah because I'm not being distracted like I'm just by myself you know I'm not being distracted by stuff I'm not eating like a crazy wild diet although actually I've probably eaten too many banana pancakes for anyone's <laughs> good <laughs> it's healthy potassium <laughs> but you know, I do think that actually generally most people are running from place to place to place to place. They don't even notice. You know, I saw this beautiful thing the other day, actually somebody had posted on Instagram. And it was a photo of a flower. And they said that, you know, they walk down this road every day to go to work and they were on their kind of, you know, one walk a day or whatever. And they noticed this really beautiful flower. And then they said, well, maybe it's always there. Maybe it's always been there, but I just never noticed because I was always on my way to work. So I was focusing on getting to work not mm. focusing on enjoying the flowers that are that line this road on my way to work mm -hmm. you know and I'm just I think there's so many things where we only have the ability to process so much stuff and the brain will make decisions for you subconsciously or unconsciously on what is important information and what isn't and I do think that actually if we were able to consciously or just unconsciously tune into all that stuff all the time would we be able to I would think life would be very different for a start but would we be able to function the way that we do with this kind of cult, current paradigm and culture that we have for doing really doing important. doing working 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 
you know achieve 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 next level next mm. level next level go 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 ah and then <laughs> dead, <laughs> dead. <laughs> but you're absolutely right how how would it work with where we are now with the two meet could they meet and gain a balance or a type of harmony there yeah um, it's so there's been a robin hovering at my window this oh. morning. I thought, oh. Might be a <laughs> um, little messenger. Yeah, I was, I was thinking that earlier on. Would the two be, like you said earlier, would the two be able to meet? Mm. But it's lovely that a person was able to, was able to recognise the flower that was there. And maybe it always been there, but because the focus or the attention was very much set on, I've got to get to work, mm. then it's missing that. But when we slow down, maybe we're slow down enough to notice things that are already there that have always been there. It's, I remember once when someone was, I was, some, I was a passenger in someone's car and we're approaching the roundabout and there's like a silver truck coming to, you know, doing a left mm. and right on this roundabout. And I'm thinking, why aren't you slowing down? And I don't want to be a backseat driver, so I'm not telling yeah. the person to slow down. And literally it's not until he's in the middle of the roundabout that he that he had to sort of like, oh sugar, somebody's coming towards us. Yeah. And I said, and I said, mm, didn't you notice it? He goes, you know what? I just didn't see it. And mm. I really goes, it wasn't there until at that critical moment. Yeah, well, where it was like where it was like life or life death. And death really. and then life you and death. Literally fight, flight, freeze kicks yeah. in. It's, yeah. it's like, oh gosh, there's something in front of me. But it is mm. the focus was on getting somewhere. And in doing that, it was like, that's not there, that's not there, that's not yeah. there, that's not there. Straight Powerful. Away. I could talk to you all day. I'm gonna have yeah. to um oh. ask you the final question. Yeah. What things do you wish you'd known? I mean, we've covered a lot of ground here, haven't mm. we? From childhood trauma, out of body experience. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy so I mean what things do you wish you'd known if you could go back to a younger you and kind of impart some wisdom what things do you wish you'd known I don't think anything at this moment I think because I, maybe there were things that I didn't know I've gotten to this point if I'd have known mm. it too early maybe I would never have been ready for it oh um, I like that answer yeah, may have led me down a different path or Maybe I wouldn't have been in touch with who I am at a deeper level. Wow, um, that's never come up so far in all the episodes uh, I've recorded. No one's ever said uh, nothing. Uh, that's powerful, you know. Years ago, I may have said, oh, yeah, I would have bought 10 houses back in the 70s. And <laughs> yeah, especially in, in London. <laughs> get SW1 postcode, you know. And that's not the focus anymore. Mm. I can focus about being, just being ourselves or being myself without being... It just being who I am mm. is that for the younger self, you'll you'll get there one day, being the taking the path that you've you've taken. So, regardless of everything that's happened to the younger Savelle, there've been lessons in life to get to the journey. This point in the journey, and the journey's going to continue. The journey's going to continue. Mm. Yeah. Amazing! Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you how can people find out more about your work how can they hear your poetry obviously I'll put links below but let them know how they can get in touch with you so they can there's a website just being me so www.justbeingme.life and they can read some poetry on there they can also see so read poetry see about me and who I am where I started so short snippet of my of my life there's also Instagram, Savelle Spoken, my Instagram tag there, as also Facebook group, Marshalled in Ranks, a rearrangement of words, which comes with 
with the book or they can buy the book. I'm working with, I say local, no, not local to them anymore, but this town that I was born in, Slough. And there's a lovely poetry society they call Innerverse. And they're going to be helping me to share some more of my poetry online as well. Amazing. Um, yeah, look out for me. You may see me in a HR type environment <laughs> you may see me in here but I'm always Savelle wherever I am I'm just Savelle you know no labels no label actually one label belonging to us all and that's been, been oh, I love that yeah. love it yeah. well thank you so so much for sharing it's just been incredible conversation and for everyone else thank you for listening and I will see you again soon much love If you enjoyed listening, why not leave us a review? It really does help other people to find this podcast and enjoy it too. Feel free to share it with friends and family members that you think it might be useful to. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.